You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. the very last of the resistance we need luke skywalker i'm not coming back help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope that was a cheap move we need you to bring the jedi back kylo ren is strong with the force what do you know about the force It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sentence was wrong. Ah, Skywalker. Missed you, have I? (laughs) Oh, they hate that ship! Rebellion is reborn. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. Hi everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to try to hit... Star Wars The Last Jedi one last time with the reviews of both the novel adaptation of the film and the Blu-ray 4K DVD release that just happened. With the novel, we have a brand new way of possibly looking at the film by the publishers adding some new material to the story to help us flesh out the story and to possibly explain the story even more. This is marketed as an expanded edition, came out a little later than expected, so we're going to go over, you know, some of the differences and whether or not it makes the movie any better. Then we're going to also look at the home video version of The Last Jedi with the 4K, Blu-ray, DVD releases that are happening right now. We're going to take a quick look at some of the deleted scenes, and again, what are our final thoughts on this film? Hopefully this will be the last time that I have to talk about The Last Jedi. So, let's get started with the movie adaptation of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Plato, Mirada, You must burn the books, Montag. The books have nothing to say. When I was your age, television was called books. You, Mr. Bemis, are a reader. A, a reader? A reader. A reader of books, magazines, periodicals, newspapers. 
Let's take a look at The Last Jedi, the novel, better known also as the Expanded Edition. This is a novelization, tie-in novelization. What One of the things I've been doing lately is collecting old movie tie-in little paperbacks, but in this particular case, we're talking about a book that's been published very recently. When it comes to, I would say it has to be a major, major, major movie that they really would bother to put out a hardcover version of their tie-in and with star wars traditionally they have you know eventually you'll get your paperbacks but with most movies unless the movie is based already on an existing book you will not find a hardcover version of that film but for i imagine for for super high profile films like star wars i don't know you know how many other ones really if you think about it i really don't know how many other ones they would go that route But it is a big deal for Star Wars fans because it's, you know, if you collect Star Wars, you know, books or toys or whatever, you know, the novel is always a a welcome addition to the, you know, crazy merchandising that happens, you know, around every Star Wars book. And with Star Wars in particular, you know, it gives the fans a chance to explore some new things that haven't been seen before or have been hinted about, uh, whether it's deleted scenes from the film. Or sometimes completely new additional scenes that whichever author they use, you know, is allowed to expand on. But this is a book unlike any other book that's been put out before for a number of reasons. One of them is the timing of how this book was released. Uh, Normally when a movie is coming out, a Star Wars film, usually I would say within a week after the movie is out, they traditionally release the novel too. Uh, This particular novel came out almost three months later. So they really, really, really took their time for some reason in putting this one out. This one is also, as I mentioned earlier, titled Expanded Edition. Not as if they've already put out a normal edition and this is a new edition. No, no. Off the bat, they're telling you that this is different than anything you've ever seen before. So... Those are two little things that, I don't know, to me are little red flags, little little somethings that they're not just a marketing ploy. To me, they, they are indicative of something different. So let's talk about what are the different things or the unusual things or the new things that we learn in the book that we did not learn on the movie. However, we have to start off, and I have to, obviously, if you've never heard you know, my show before, I have to let you know that my background with this particular film is not that great. I was not a fan of this film. Uh, now, I feel like I always have to explain myself when it comes to my opinion of this film. I am not in the camp of this is it. I am in the process right now of doing a bonfire of everything Star Wars in my house, and I'm going to set it in flames in the next 20 minutes. No, 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 no. (laughs) This film was just not as good as I wanted it to be. To me, it is the weakest of the new ones. To me, if you throw it up against, for example, the prequels, I would say this is the Phantom Menace in terms of some really cool stuff and some real not cool stuff. (laughs) It's a mixed bag of good and not good. And I've done, I I already forget how many shows I've done 
having to do with The Last Jedi, where I reviewed it myself, I reviewed it with my son, somebody much younger, I reviewed it with another person that is about my age, who is even more critical than me about it. So I, I kind of went everywhere in terms of, you know, how people have reacted to it. So, again, this is from my perspective. And the other thing is that I'm not alone in this way of thinking. I have not seen a Star Wars film in a very long time, very, very long time, that divided the audience so much. I know the movie has made a ton of money, and that's kind of like on the plus side. And I also know that a lot of fans, not just three or four, not just, you know, it's not an an outlier of, of data here, a big, big chunk, a considerable chunk of fans were not that crazy about it either. They have similar complaints that I do. And I know that Disney and Lucasfilm and the producers of the film have reacted to it, but they're taking a very unusual stance. And I could almost sympathize with them in terms of, you know, they don't want to apologize or admit fault because the money is really good. And when it's all said and done, this is all about money. All the stuff that I collect, every single thing that I'm surrounded by, the purpose of this stuff being sold is to make money. I mean, I get it. I understand how the world functions, especially when you're dealing with gigantic corporate entities. You know, Disney is a juggernaut in terms of, you know, being a corporate entity. And and I know they do some horrendous things sometimes, you know, as far as fairness to their employees and how they treat certain things. And then on the other hand, they put out an amazing product. You know, you have theme parks that are unbelievable, great films, you know, you know, all kinds of things that are really, really good, but they're not perfect. So when it comes to their reasoning or their reaction to what's happening, you know, you kind of have to be able to see it from both sides. And that is the approach that I think that they've been taking. They don't want to admit one thing or the other, so they're kind of playing it down the middle. And by playing it down the middle is they stick to their guns to saying this is the most fantastic thing they've ever created and that, you know, from Lucasfilm's perspective even, you get that they're standing behind their director and that they've this is the, a game-changing film and this is exactly what Star Wars needed and, you know, I, I get that. On the other hand, I have never seen so much what could be considered publicity or marketing or backpedaling <laughs> or damage control in terms of how the director has gone on interviews, endless interviews, trying to explain his decisions and his alleged plot holes <laughs> in his story. Um, I've never seen it. I did not see J.J. Abrams going that insane in trying to explain you know, his his writing, or Gareth Edwards, you know, in terms of trying to explain why Rogue One is the way it is. But this one, they have. And they've gone way out of their way, I think, so that it paints this picture of they kind of want to have it both ways. They want to say, we are the best, we know exactly what we're doing, and we hit a home run. And at the same time, oh, by the way, those of you who are not very happy, you know what, L- let me try to explain to you what, was, what we try to do, and, and maybe we can fix it by doing this, and maybe we can show you something, and, and we'll give you some of this, and we'll give you some of that. So I'm seeing a, a, a two-way campaign here that they're trying to, to wage. 
damage control and celebration at the same time. They're trying to have it both ways. So with this novel, the fact that from the beginning, you know, this novel came out three months later. Why would that be? Now, I read some interviews with the writer, Jason Fry, talking about how he's been planning this novel you know, like uh, in, in, last summer, he was getting together with Ryan Johnson and talking about it. And that, you know, nobody's, you know, the, the back and forth and Lucasfilm would suggest something and his his editor would suggest something and Ryan Johnson would suggest. So he kind of, you know, he kind of gave the, the generic, it's the creative process and nothing out of the ordinary happened. It's just the way it is. And everybody's super happy with how it came out. But some things that kind of, give the little red flag going off is the fact that the book was released three months later. Now, I don't know if this is true. I don't have any proof of it. But to me, three months later suggests that when the book normally should be coming out in December, when the movie comes out, when they started to hear all that flack from the movie in terms of the dissatisfaction with a lot of people, I'm talking about probably half of the fans, you know, and I'm talking about the fans here. I'm not talking about Joe the Plumber who goes to see their first Star Wars movie and it's the second in a trilogy. You know, you got idiots like this all the time. They jump in halfway and they're like, this is horrible or this is amazing, but they have no context in terms of where this is coming from or where this is going. So I'm not including those kind of people. I'm talking about people that have been following this for a long time or at least that have put in the effort to catch up to be able to to, to come into this portion of the film, you know, you need to be, a, you need to have a little history, you know, of, of what you're dealing with before you have a serious, intelligent, and I'm going to say intelligent opinion. With that said, I would say that about half the fans uh, were disappointed. So something tells me that when they started to get preview information in terms of fan reaction, the red flags that Lucasfilm and Disney kind of went off and they were all kind of on pause. They were like, well, what's going on here? This is the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread. Why are people reacting this way? So when they really, really started to get the feedback, they were conflicted because like I mentioned earlier, on one hand, they're making too much money. They don't even know what to do with themselves. But on the other hand, they're getting bad reviews. So which, you know, what strategy do you follow? I think that one of the ways that they reacted to this was to hold the book and say all right hold on let's make a couple of changes on this book to go along with this apology tour that <laughs> ryan johnson it's not an apology tour it's an explanation tour uh, of him going around uh, explaining his decisions and, and and so forth and so forth let's use the book as another way of being able to let's make some corrections let's say if somebody's complaining that well this never gets explained how could you get to this point without explaining how we got there this is what they might have used the book for is to be able to make a couple little tweaks and that to me would explain why there's a three-month lag in this book, you know, being put out. Is it possible they already had all the copies made? I mean, the printing process, I'm sure, takes a very long time. Uh, and they, they had to pull it, and all of a sudden they had to add something. I don't know, maybe. You know, I might never know. The other thing is that the book is titled The Expanded Edition. Why would you need to put out an expanded edition? Like I mentioned earlier, to me, an expanded edition indicates that you have something that was released in a normal fashion, and now you are enticing people to buy the new version because it's been expanded. You've expanded something. 
I don't think they've ever put out an expanded edition of the movie tie-in, you know, when it was initially released. This is the first time they're labeling expanded edition. So, again, I think they're trying to figure out a way of trying to get some of those unhappy fans back into the fold. I know with the promotion of the DVD, you know, the Blu-ray version, that they have been promoting like crazy, all these deleted scenes and all these behind the scenes. And that is a little more difficult to kind of pinpoint and say, well, the only reason you're getting this is because of the fan react. No, because usually when you have a a DVD release, you know, they, they go all out. They give you pretty much a pretty big chunk. However, there is a change in the strategy, and that's part of the marketing, and that's part of the business, whereby originally with The Force Awakens, you had a regular version, and then months, months later, they released a 3D version with even more different bonus material. That kind of got scrapped. By the time we got to Rogue One, they went straight to 3D with everything on it. You're not getting a second version, at least as far as we know. And I believe here it's the same thing. We are getting a version, which happens to already not be 3D anymore. That's for other reasons. But we are no longer in that dual mode of putting out a secondary one, which is... You know, it's 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 difficult for the fans because of you know you're trying to you know milk them for twice the the money by giving them two versions when you can just put that all together into one. Uh, so that's kind of good in a way. But for this book, again, to me, it seemed like this is unusual, and it's unusual for a reason. It's not a fluke. It's not a mistake. It's not a random marketing ploy. It's a very deliberate marketing ploy. So let's talk about the book. Well. The book pretty much follows the story. Overall, it is a little easier to swallow this script in book form, I would say. And a lot of it has to do uh, with something that I might have mentioned on a previous episodes is that because I've become accustomed to this film already, I've seen it, I think, three times. And the first time was the most shocking because, as I mentioned before, whenever a bizarre scene or a bizarre line or some over-the-top comedic thing would happen I would just linger (laughs) it's almost as if somebody pressed the pause button on the movie you know and I would have to kind of get back on the story while the story was progressing underneath I was barely noticing it because I was in like shock of what was happening in front of me so I'm like okay now now I'm back in the story okay I'm following I'm following the story now you know by the time you see it a second time and a third time it's kind of like you're waiting for this bad thing to happen so you can just kind of move on and and that's what's been happening the more i watch the movie the more it's like okay here comes a bad scene come on come on go 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 next okay good that kind of mode is what 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 you know i go into well with the book it was a similar situation when i knew there was a sequence coming up that wasn't going to be very pleasant you know i would read it and i would just move on to the next sentence and kind of forget what i just saw i try try to forget what i just saw so it is a little easier to read the book than to watch the film in a way especially maybe for the first time i mean granted it helps that i already have these warnings that that bad things are coming so i don't have to be surprised by really anything the only surprises in this book is basically what the author included himself or detailed deleted scenes that we'll also hear about you know when we talk about the uh the dvd release of the blu-ray the biggest author created sequence i think in the book is the beginning where we get we get a picture of luke he's an older luke he's living in tatooine cammy is his wife if you guys remember cammy from the original uh, new hope deleted scenes 
And he's kind of reminiscent about how things are, you know, the Empire rules everything. And a long time ago, he had these droids that the Empire took away and he didn't really do much about them. He kind of, you know, let them go. (laughs) And uh, that how there was this princess that was apparently executed uh, for treason or something and some planets were destroyed. And, you know, his life is just what it is. And, you know, whatever, you know, this kind of weird tone that ends up being a dream that he's having. And not so much a regular dream, but more like the Force trying to communicate with him by giving him this alternate life that he could have had that he doesn't have now. So that was kind of interesting to, to, to start off and you're like, what the hell is happening here? Like a really disorienting kind of beginning to the book. There are certain scenes that were done also, including a a funeral for Han, which they go into a little bit in detail of of how it's something that Leia really doesn't want to have, but she thinks it's kind of for the benefit of everybody else, you know, to to give him his proper respect and for everybody else to be able to somehow mourn in in some shape or fashion. And she she talks about, uh, I think at some point, marking his... His, 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 I guess his burial site or his grave. Obviously, they don't have a body, if you guys remember. But a little um, wooden, like, amulet that he had carved out during the Battle of Endor that she kind of held. And she kind of, I think, leaves it there as a reminder of him in the core, the, the planet that they're trying to evacuate also. They try to sprinkle on throughout the book Leia's Force abilities, which is something that it was a very big contention, you know, with a lot of people, including myself, in the movie and in the book, again, they kind of sprinkle it on that, you know, she's always been able to kind of feel what some of the soldiers are feeling, whether they're sad or depressed or tired or whatever, how she kind of absorbs all that energy. And it's through the Force that she's able to do this. So it's like, okay, that's that's interesting. You know, again, in the book, they're trying to do it more than they did in the movie. By the end of the book also, and I'm going to jump around in different situations here. By the end of the book, we also get a scene where Leia, you know, they're, they're, they finally escape everything and they're kind of relaxing a little bit. And she's able to approach Chewbacca and tell her, you know, that Luke is dead. And, you know, they get a moment to embrace each other and to just kind of comfort each other. Very sweet moment in the book. And she kind of tells them that, you know, that's it. They're the last ones now, her and and Chewbacca. Obviously, us knowing that she's going to be gone (laughs) sooner or later because by the next movie, she won't be around. With the character of Rose, they also give you this background that she's been working on this cloaking device, uh, cloaking technology, to be able to cloak a ship. And this comes in very handy when they have to go to Cantabite and separate themselves from the fleet and not be caught in the process. Again, it's, it's, it's... in my opinion, you're fixing plot holes. You're, you're patching up these little holes everywhere. Uh, and that's what they're trying to do. There's an entire deleted scene sequence in the caretaker village where Luke, I believe, tells Ray that the, these uh, people are raiding the village. They're coming to raid the village. And she doesn't understand why he can just sit there and watch it happen. So she runs out there with a lightsaber. And I think it's, uh, it might be raining or something. I'm not entirely sure. And by the time she gets there, she's ready to go fight. She sees these approaching ships. Actual water ships I'm talking about here. And when they opens up the gates... It's basically a celebration they're having because I guess the males of the caretakers are back from their fishing trips and they're all having like a celebration. And I think Luke shows up and, 
he kind of has a, a a big laugh about it because you know he, he kind of tricked her into thinking this was something bad and it's not. So that's an interesting little sequence there of him kind of messing with her. They do make a uh, point of letting us know that in the Force Awakens when. Chewie shoots Kylo with the blaster while sh- while he's shooting stormtroopers and they're just flying left and right. When he shoots Kylo and Kylo doesn't die automatically, it's because Kylo was using the Force, you know, to protect himself. So it's like, okay, all right, okay, that's interesting. I guess they're trying to fix a plot problem from the previous film, which, okay, I understand that it wasn't really bothering me that much, but all right, that's interesting. They also make a point about how Rey has this special ability to absorb knowledge of the Force different than we have seen before. Whenever Rey and Kylo have the connection that is made between them, he's able to extract, or even in person, he's able to extract memories from her. And that's the type of things that he uses against her. However, from Rey's point of view, or from her perspective, she can do something different. She can kind of extract knowledge, force knowledge, from Kylo Ren. So it's almost as if she's having a, a super fast learning ability just by making those connections, which is something that, again, is new and we never seen before. And they really have not gone into very, very extensive detail in the movie, but it is one of those questions of, well, how could this girl be so powerful, so fast? How could she know so much? How can she... You know, this movie is taking place without a break. We go from first movie to second movie. She's a scavenger in the desert to a super force user in a matter of days, pretty much. Even with Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back... There is some time between Star Wars and Empire. And heck, by the time Yoda is introduced, you could kind of say, well, maybe Luke's been practicing a little bit before meeting Yoda. Okay, it's possible he's been practicing something, whatever Ben taught him. And then when you jump from Empire to Jedi, it's probably been a couple of weeks, a couple of months now. So there is a little bit more time, not a lot. You know, he's not like super duper... Luke, even though he does behave super like super duper Luke, but there is some time. In this movie, compared to the previous movie, there is no time. Everything is like happening constantly. In the book, they make a point that after some of this more or less sarcastic lessons that Luke is trying to teach Rey, he does start to believe that Rey is a vessel of the cosmic force. It's this whole thing about the living force and the cosmic force. And he believes that she is being sent to him for a reason. He's starting to believe that maybe he does have a role to play in all this. That maybe he should come out of his retirement uh, and and help them out. But that kind of all goes out the window when he sees her communicating with Kylo. So we do see that in the movie, but it tries to kind of reinforce the fact that that he was having kind of second thoughts. The book references Snap Wexley at some point as... They're trying to figure out if help is coming or not, and they do point to the fact, Lei, I think, points to the fact that, you know, some of her pilots are off on missions trying to find help in the process, so that's why they happen not to be there at the time, and he kind of is important in a way, I don't know, because he is the portrayed by Greg Grunberg, and he is pretty much in a lot of J.J. Abrams' television shows or films, so he is kind of like an iconic 
more or less character that hopefully he'll return in the last film because it will be directed by JJ. So, you know, we, we do expect him to come back. And we didn't see him die so in the first film. So luckily, I think he's still alive, even though he didn't show up on this one. Again, during the novel, they kind of sprinkle more around the idea that throughout all this time, Luke has been teaching Leia a couple of Force-related things so she could kind of start to learn. You know, not the, you know, crazy Jedi Master kind of stuff, but so she kind of knows a little more about the Force. Again, to me, this is backpedaling to explain, you know, the Mary Poppins scene. I could be wrong, but I believe... This is one of the things when I was reading the book and I started screaming. They do mention that when Leia floats back into the ship, the airlock closes and they're able to rescue her. Um, that's not what happens in the movie. I was very <laughs> specific when I watched it. And it's like, yes, it's a stupid, nitpicky thing to say from my perspective. But yes, it did bother me that she floats in, they open a door and they bring her inside. And there are no airlocks, there are no shields, there is nothing there you could see. So, that's just me. There seems to be an inconsistency here, and again, who knows? The, the actual slow-motion space chase that is taking place during most of the movie, with, with the, the New Order fleet chasing the uh, Resistance, it is mentioned at some point that it, it, they have about 18 hours worth of fuel left. So, you could say that that entire chase took a day. However, in the book, I believe they reference to Ray being an acto you know, doing her training or her attempted training or her attempted, you know, to have Luke come back, that whole time uh, took days. Uh, so it's a little difficult to kind of, you know, marry the two. And they do go in the book a little deeper, and I don't know if they will ever pick this up in the movies, between the living force and the cosmic force. The living force being all the living things that exist animals, people, plants, you know, everything that lives, everything that has some kind of force within it, you know, even the rocks, if you remember, everything has the force. But the cosmic force being something kind of above that, that encompasses everything, that kind of directs things and kind of interacts with the rest of the people, with the rest of the living beings. The thing that kind of balances and keeps everything together. So this could be interpreted as some kind of a god or some kind of a universal balance or something that is the thing that is trying to communicate with Luke. In other words, it's not the rock that's communicating. It's the force itself, like the highest level, the highest uh, interpretation of the force is what's trying to talk to Luke, apparently in the beginning of the novel. And that kind of thing, the fact that Ray is sent to Luke by the cosmic force. It's not just a, a person that wants to learn something because they're just curious. It's this whole mystical thing is directing this particular person to come to Luke because they have a role to play in the bigger scheme of things. So overall, the book, it's a good book. You know, it, it, it does feel like it's trying to plug all these little holes. It's almost kind of like, it's like you're looking at a wall full of holes because, you know, you just uh, removed all these picture frames and you're left with the nails and the nails have been removed and now you've got a whole bunch of holes and somebody's going around with spackle covering these little holes. And they're covering holes and they're covering holes and they're covering holes. And yes, you do have a, a solid foundation after you're done covering all these holes, but you can still see that it's a big collection of covered holes. 
Another reviewer that I, I listened to best described it as, if you love the film, you're going to love the book because the book is going to give you exactly what the film gave you and more. If you had trouble with the film, this might not really help you much. You're just going to point out that this is damage control. This is plot hole fixing. And that's what it felt like to me. It felt like to me as if they didn't want to stick to their guns, their misguided guns, in my opinion, and give you the story exactly the way that it was portrayed in the movie. In other words, don't give me any more of this. Don't give me any less of that. Give me exactly this right amount and let it stand on its own like the movie did. But here it looks like they try to appease the unsatisfied viewers like myself by trying to cover up, trying to add things that were not in the movie in an attempt to have us say, oh, I feel so much better now. It explained it so much clearer now. And unfortunately, that doesn't work with me. The other thing that I found really annoying in the book, and again, it could be because this is something that happens on a lot of books. Maybe it's happened on previous Star Wars books. And, and even in the movie, this is something that I would complain about, is the using of modern colloquialisms. Sayings that are, are kind of modern-ish. They're not from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away-ish. There is a lot of that kind of stuff in the book where it kind of brings me out. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You don't say that. That's something that's ours. It's it's ours. It's not Star Wars-y. Even in the movie, I remember, there was a scene where DJ says that, you know, he's such a great lock picker, he can get into Snoke's boudoir. And it's like, why would you use the word boudoir? And they do it in the book, too. They say, Snoke's boudoir. And it's like, that is such a specific word that would only apply to us now, you know, you're 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 kind of bouncing off a, I think, a French word, which is like, why would you do that? No, you would you should have said something different. Work within the Star Wars, uh, you know, dictionary, if you will, and find a word that you that represents that, but doesn't throw it back into that. Well, in the book, there's a lot of stuff like that. Some of it is in the movie, which bothered me while watching the movie, and some of it. It's in the book, originally in the book, and it's like, oh man, why would they do that? Why would they say that? Now, like I said before, maybe I've seen this before in other books, even in other Star Wars novelizations, and it didn't bother me, but it really bothered me here. And again, it's it's part of it's part of the writing, and I can't really let it go because it bothered me. So I would still recommend reading this book. Because at least I think it should give you a chance to make up your own mind. You know, you love the movie, you love the book, you didn't love the movie, the book is going to be a problem. Test it out. See if that theory works. Because, as I always said, you know, any Star Wars is good Star Wars. Some is way better than other. <laughs> and something like this, it's just not that great. So, I'll still read it, I'll still keep up with it, and hopefully we have something better down the line with episode 9. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, Really?
The Force will be with you, always. Well, as promised, we've also had a chance to watch The Last Jedi at home. The final DVD release came out. And as unfortunately expected, with the, I assume, loss of popularity of 3D television, this time around, this will be the first of the new Star Wars films that is not available in the U.S. in a 3D format. What you have now is a 4K Option depending on what store you buy it, it comes with a Blu ray version, and that is what I've been doing lately is buying them, buying newer films that include a 4K version. Obviously, they're going to charge you a little more for that. Same old story. I don't even have a 4K TV, but in the anticipation that one day I might have to upgrade my television or either you know, either one of them, I want to be ready to have some 4k material in stock (laughs) you know for when that happens i'm not entirely sure but i think i might have started doing that with blu-ray a long time ago you know when i was switching from dvd to blu-ray plus i kind of started doing that also with 3d when i had an idea that i wanted to move on to the 3d sets once i saw that technology and how good it looked uh, it's a very disappointing uh, thing. What's even more disappointing is the fact that they are—they do have 3D versions of this film, but they're only selling them in England. In the UK, you can get a 3D copy of the film, but I'm not going to go that route. I don't care if, you know, I don't want to have to start chasing these films into other countries and starting to worry about different formats. You know, it will will it play in this country? Will it play here? Will it play there? Does that my do my machines understand the technology? All that kind of stuff. You know what? Fine. They want to dump the 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 format. Dump it. I don't care. I'm not happy about it. But what are you gonna do? Move on to the next one. So the one that I bought, like I said, it was a 4K, but I watched the Blu-ray. Now, one of the things I'm gonna promise you is that this is probably the last time that I'm going to, in some way, <laughs> review this film. And I'm doing this just in a much more minimal manner, you know, unless, however, I have to refer to this film as I'm comparing it to maybe future films. Obviously, we have the solo film coming up in two months, which is just ridiculous how close the next one is. And then we also heard news that episode nine will also be a summer release. So I believe they're trying to go to the summer format and, you know, to get away from the winter format, which means after solo, we'll have another one pretty much a year away. Initially, we thought it was going to go up to winter, thereby having a year and a half gap between films. Who knows? But now they're targeting summers. Well, with this film, I I sat down and watched it with my son, and I kind of gave him a warning that I was going to pause the film every time I had a problem with it, and I was going to air my grievances to him about what was wrong with that scene. Now, I'm not turning that into a show, obviously, because, uh, you know, you already have a movie that's about two hours and what, like 45 minutes long or something like that. And with all my pauses and all and with all my grievances, you know, this could easily have been turned into a maybe three and a half hour film or even more. But I tried to kind of contain myself and I said, hey, you know what? I got a great idea. I am going to get a big, big, big glass of uh, a strawberry wine, which is what I like to drink. That's my my preferred uh <laughs> alcoholic beverage and you know full it's full don't it's not an entire glass i fill it with ice about halfway and then i pour the the wine in there yes i am one of those wine drinkers that put ice in their wine completely destroying it i'm sure but 
hey, to each his own. So I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a sip of wine every time I have a problem with the film. And I'm going to pause the film. And I'm going to talk about my problems. So I would say we got about 30 minutes into it. And I was already out of wine. Uh, so I had to stop that because I figured, you know, 30 minutes is a full glass. I would be probably passed out by the time that the movie got to crate, I imagine. So the theory of trying to kind of drink my way through the film uh, didn't work out too well. But like I said, I stopped 30 minutes. No more drinking. I, I moved on, I think, to either seltzer or water or something else uh, to kind of clear my head. And But I still, you know, I, I would stop and I would argue my point primarily to myself because my son is pretty much tired of listening to me argue about it you know he would defend certain points uh he would agree with me on certain points but this was the fourth time i believe i watched the movie i saw it twice in the theater i saw it once on my computer as as i was doing one of my reviews and i saw it now this time on home video the home video looks great i mean the look of the film the the quality of the special effects more or less they're spot on. The technical aspects of this film, the craft of this film, is 100% Star Wars. 100%. Technology. You know, the lighting, the effects, the sound, it's all there. But, as everybody knows, when you have a problem with a script, that could kind of distract you from all these other wonderful things that were done, and that's the problem here. There were a few new things that I was able to notice and we were able to go into, you know, by watching uh, this film on at home and being able to freeze certain things and look at them in in very, 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 very much detail. Uh, for example, my, my grievance about Leia, you know, Mary Poppins Leia scene, uh, not so much the ability because that's something that I'm tired of arguing about, but my issue is her entering the, the damaged ship and going through a door without everybody being sucked out of that door. And when we freeze frame, you know, certain scenes or certain shots of that scene, you could see that she does enter through this destroyed bridge. Fine, she's entering the bridge is still zero gravity because everything is a mess. And then she goes through a hatch that has a very short tunnel. And then she reaches the opposite end of that hatch at the end of that tunnel. And she... Not the people outside, but she triggers it somehow just, again, it looks like she's doing it by the force because she just is holding her hand out there like she is doing it. And she triggers that door to open and you see this rush of um, air and, and she and they bring her in. You know, that's when they bring her in. Well, at no point during this scene, it's a maybe it's a one, two, th maybe it's a three cut scene. Do you see any special effect done or a physical door. In other words, she floats through that first door and the door theoretically could close behind her, thereby creating an airlock so that then she can open that second one and not have everybody sucked out of the uh, the ship. Or because this is Star Wars, they could create, you know, digitally, they could create a, a force field type of effect of she goes through the first force field and now she's in an airlock scenario, which she can then open. No. Now, how important is this? It is absolutely unimportant. Absolutely unimportant. However, what to me it tells me is sloppy. This is something that when you're watching these scenes with possibly 10 other people behind you, you know, looking at these rushes, even in the editing room, 
somebody would raise their hand and say, somebody from story group, you know, someone like Pablo Hidalgo, someone who's supposed to know all this stuff backwards and forwards, would raise their hand and go, um, hey, listen, uh, maybe we should put a little airlock kind of special effect so it doesn't look as if we screwed up here. But no, nobody apparently said a word or nobody noticed it or even worse, nobody cared. So again, I'm not going to go stand outside of Lucasfilm with a sign, say, you know, that says, what, what about the airlock? You know, <laughs> I'm not that crazy. But little things like that are so easy to fix. As I mentioned earlier in the book, the book seems to go out of its way you know, the novel, in trying to fix little problems and insert information that I and many other people are being, being very critical about, you know. And, and again, it is just damage control that they're doing. But you figure, you know what, you could have fixed that. That's such a stupid little thing. Um, let's see, another thing we noticed was that my son believes that the lightsaber that Kylo grabs when he's fighting Luke in the in the flashback scene when he Luke almost attacks him in you know in the Jedi temple uh, he believes it is the same lightsaber he has now you know the cross lightsaber except it has not been modified so he believes that the base of that lightsaber the hilt the 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 basic structure is the same and at some point he modified it so that's something I'm looking into because it's like oh that's interesting because if it's not if it is not that one that he modified, then it is a completely new lightsaber to be introduced into the, you know, world of lightsabers. You know, because I, I I know I, I do I do love to kind of research all the lightsabers that are out there, especially in the films. You know, obviously you can create a million different you know combinations of lightsabers, but my interest is mainly the film ones to kind of catalog the ones that have been produced as a prop to be used on a film. So that's really interesting. And, and that's the thing. In this movie, you are going to be able to, you know, be able to pick and grab little things and, and go into them in, in as much detail as any other Star Wars film that you love or I love or anybody loves. But, yeah, it's just there's certain, you know, scenes that are just like, you know, Admiral Holdo, you know, she's just like. Oh man, it's it's like an episode of Three's Company. It's a half hour of stuff that never would have happened if the right thing would have been said at the time. You know, if she wouldn't be such a dick and have this attitude, you know, this entire sequence wouldn't be lasting as long as and it's like a false uh, situation that we're being thrown into. And then at the end, you know, near the end, she's like Oh, I, I like him. I'm like, no, you don't. You're an idiot. You hate him. You know, what's your what's wrong with you? So I'm to believe that this is all just something to make Poe learn a lesson. This is a life moment. It's like, no, you're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a we're gonna die in the next 20 minutes. And it's a teachable moment. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There might also be some discrepancies in the time span of things that are taking place. For example, in the book, I believe they mention something like they only have about 18 hours worth of gas or uh, fuel in order to be able to have the New Order catch up to them. And in the film, they do mention a few hours left when they're really close to the end. But so then we were trying to kind of track down, well, how long has Ray been in Atu? We kind of counted, I think she was there for like three days, which, 
again, we're back to that whole thing of, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, it's the same problem. In Empire Strikes Back, there's always this discrepancy or this lack of time specificity between how long is Luke in Dagobah and how long, you know, is um, is the Falcon, you know, with, with, with Han and Leia and everybody uh, running around avoiding the Empire, you know. Is Luke there for a week? Are they traveling there for a week? Are we seeing two different destinations, but within two different time spans? I don't know for Empire. Here, you know, if you look at sunrises and sunsets, it's about three, I believe, in Octu. Uh, but does that mean we're, it's three days at, you know, the, the chase, that the slow motion chase? Does it take, it's a, is it a three-day chase, really, that we're leading up to? That then, you know, Finn and Rose go out on their own mission. And yes, Rose is an expert in cloaking fields and blah, blah, blah. And the cloak and this cloak. And now she can cloak. She can cloak. Right, wonderful. Out of the blue, she's bored. And she learns how to create a cloaking device so that her little ship can kind of get away without being seen. And then she's able to give them this cloaking device so that their little ships uh, can escape the big ship at the end. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. The other issue that I that I've never thought of until recently that I you know I was reading uh, one of the articles is and again this is one of those nitpicky things. Ray grew up in a desert planet. Water is the scarcest thing in the world, and you know it is uh, harvested kind of like Tatooine and very rare. You know it's hard to find water, but all of a sudden she falls into this pit of you know a cave where there's a water environment, and she's able to swim all the way back up again. And it's like, where did she learn to swim? Wouldn't she have drowned? You know, again, stupid little stuff that could have been fixed here or there. We have some deleted scenes that was kind of neat to be able to see them. Uh, they don't really add too much to them. The biggest scene is the one with the caretakers that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the book. The famous third lesson that Luke never gives her, and that that is that he he makes her think that there, there there's a raiding party coming to kill all the caretakers or something, or to rough them up. And then she rushes out there against his wishes to protect them, and when she gets there, it's just the male caretakers coming back from their fishing expeditions, and they're having a big party. And even Chewbacca is there with the Porgs having a party with them, which is kind of kind of a little bit weird but that's the scene they cut out would it have helped no it really wouldn't have helped it's a cute scene it's nice it fits the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie is kind of clunky but it really doesn't help in terms of you know my grievances so i still haven't watched all the uh, documentaries and the making ofs and that sort of thing and I, I, you know again i'm going to watch them of course i'm going to watch them and i don't think they're going to sway me in one direction or the other i think i'm pretty much set as to where I stand in this film. This is not a happy position to be in. You know, believe me, I'm the one who's usually defending Star Wars, you know, as creatively as possible. And I'll go back to, again, saying, this does not destroy the movie for me. This is not a, I'm done with Star Wars. This is just, I'm disappointed in this particular chapter. There were disappointing things in earlier chapters, especially in the prequels. The prequels had some very shaky ground areas, and this has the same problem. There are some very shaky ground areas that I did not notice when I was watching The Force Awakens, or at least not as much, or Rogue One. Those, to me, were home runs. This one, mm, try again next time type of situation. So we'll see what happens next with Solo. That is the very interesting movie as far as which way will the studio go next with. 
Uh, I mean, we know, obviously, that J.J. is doing the other one, number nine. And we know that Ryan Johnson has been given, you know, the keys to the kingdom and to do another three. Which, I'll say it again, I wish he would have waited until he had the keys to the kingdom to do his own thing. And he would have just continued what we started here. You know, we still have many people that feel the same way I do. Even Mark Hamill put out a statement a while back that he was kind of like, wait a minute, this is not the way things should be done. And that's not the way things Luke would have done these things. Yes, he's an actor, but guess what? He's been living with this character his entire life, basically. This character has been his bread and butter, I would imagine, for for a very long time. But then he had kind of had to kind of walk back some of those statements when they were doing the publicity tour. And even, I believe, on the DVD itself, there's a section where he might even go into that. But we kind of all understand where we're at with this. We'll see what happens next. And I guess Solo will be our next deep dive into Star Wars. Well, I hope all of you enjoyed today's show. This was another double Star Wars topic uh, dealing with The Last Jedi. Star Wars The Last Jedi, the latest episode 8 on the current franchise. We went from the movie adaptation novel by Jason Fry, where we kind of tried to dig a little deeper and try to see if we can clarify some of the confusion and the jarring original script that we were given uh, with the film. And then we also looked at the DVD release, the Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, you name it, release. Uh, Unfortunately, lack of 3D release in the U.S. And some of the special deleted scenes and, you know, how good everything looks and whether or not the movie is any better the fourth time around in my particular case. So on behalf of everybody here, thank you guys for listening and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Afraid of tanker refueling. But there was a lot of firing earlier. Hey! I tell you, Luke, the rebellion's a long way from here. This planet, big hunk of nothing. I doubt if the Empire would even fight to save the system. Hey, you watch it. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>